0: Welcome to the Open Explore FBC podcast featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life. In May of 1920, the members of Athens Baptist Church left the church building located at the corner of Washington Street and College Avenue. A new structure was planned for a new location at the corner of Pulaski Street and Hancock Avenue. In September of 1921, the first services were held in the new sanctuary. One hundred years later, in 2021, members, friends, and guests continue to gather for worship, education, ministry, and mission. This podcast series celebrates our 100-year anniversary of being in this location by featuring stories and memories from a variety of our church members. Some will stir your laughter Others may bring a tear or two upon your face. Our third episode features Cindy Haygood and Robin O'Rear. Here is my conversation with them. I know you have been here and seen a lot of changes and been part of a lot of changes, but when did you come into the church? What stage were you in life? When was that time period that you came? Robin, why don't you tell us your story first? and then we'll get Cindy to share hers.
1: Well, Sean and I moved to Athens in summer of 1986, pregnant with our first child. Hard transition for me. Um, Brandon was born in November. We were visiting the church and then joined the church in February of 1987. So we're coming up on 35 years in the church. Oh, wow. So since then, we, of course, have had two more daughters
2: and been here for quite a while.
0: (laughs) Cindy? What about you and Daniel?
2: Daniel and I married in July of 78 and moved here for him to start law school. And we started visiting around in the fall and then joined the church in January of 79. He was in law school for those three years and we formed a really great friendship with a bunch of people who were around our age. A lot of them were. Students getting their master's and a couple getting their doctorate. And then they all left in 81 when Daniel finished law school. They pretty (laughs) much finished their degrees and they moved on. So we started again with a group of friends in 81 and 82. Okay. Part of which is Robin.
0: Very good. Who was on staff when you all came?
2: John Appleton
1: was senior minister. Bob Farrell. Same year. Yeah, it was those two.
0: So you all spent a good bit of time under... Appleton's tenure as pastor here, and Bob Farrell, too.
2: And more under Virginia's.
0: It sounds like there's more to be told there.
2: She was what I would call a force of nature.
0: <laughs> and She was going to
2: make sure that all of us met other people in the community and that we did our part of outreach. I remember her picking me up um, one summer, and we went to the YWCO and basically tore sheets to make cloths for people that, you know, needed rags and that kind of thing. She was something else.
1: (laughs) My first experience with Virginia and John, personally, we had been visiting the church, so I was at home with Sean working with a brand-new baby, and they arrived on my front doorstep unannounced and knocked on the door and came in for a visit, and (laughs) I was mortified. (laughs) My house was a mess. I did not look, well, I looked like a brand-new mother, but they were wonderful.
0: How about that? It was a different era then. Who were some of the people that you have heard speak here, preach here, that really stand out to you?
2: I remember Bruce Metzger. He came for a a few years, I believe, and he helped write, was a contributing editor on the Revised Standard Version of our Bible, and I think he was a professor at Princeton. He was just a holy gentleman, very, very calm and opened his Bible and just preached and taught you. And he was just very, all I can remember about him, he was so calm and so genuine, Mm. but very deep. But yet, I mean, I still remember things that he said and remember him. I'm sure it's been 30 years. Yeah.
0: Great scholar, very well known. And as you said, was the real coordinating editor of the New Revised Standard Version.
2: Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a funny story. A lot of people know John Claypool because they've read his books and um, heard him speak, and he's pretty well known across not just Baptist circles, but Presbyterian and Methodist too, I believe. But he preached one Sunday here, and Ann was with him, and we had some mutual friends, so that was fun to get to connect with them. But Daniel and I sat sort of catty-cornered behind her, and Anne slept through the whole <laughs> worship service. <laughs> and I just thought, I thought to myself, how many times has she heard that sermon? You know, I've heard it the first time, that, that only time, and it was wonderful. But, you know, she slept through the whole thing.
0: Oh, that is so funny. What other memorable experiences have you had here?
1: One of the most unusual services I remember and I didn't remember his name, but I think Cindy does, was when the gentleman did the bust of Jesus out of clay. That, to me, was incredibly memorable, and and you knew his name.
2: Sam Gore, and he was an art professor at Mississippi College in Clinton, Mississippi. That was very moving.
0: Yeah, I remember that. The choir sang while he was sculpting, and it took form and almost came to life. It was a very dramatic moving. What other things do you remember? Any kind of experiences?
2: One of the ones that I really remember, I think Sam was probably. When do you leave to go to children's church? When you're in kindergarten? Yeah. We used, we're used yeah. to, they would dismiss in the middle of the worship service and, and go do the, their children's church. I don't remember doing this, but. Jim and Lorreen Horton got tickled at me because they said when Sam left one particular Sunday that I just went, huh. <laughs> just, you know, that sigh of relief that he was finally <laughs> out of the sanctuary. <laughs> I also remember Sam flapping his choir robe, you know, standing up front in front of everybody, and he put his hands inside his robe sleeves, and they were, you know, big and wide and just flapped them the whole time, not not just a little bit, but the whole time.
1: Well, if we're telling mortifying stories, there was the one where Allison O'Rear, as an acolyte, came reverently down the aisle <laughs> and missed the altar, and the Bible dropped onto the floor with a very
0: loud slap. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, because it's not a small Bible. No, it's
1: no, not. No. She picked it up and managed to get it back up there, but...
0: <laughs> Those things you just really never forget, do you? You are sharing about some of those unexpected moments that you've had and some very memorable moments that mean a great deal. Were there some other unexpected moments that were not as humorous?
1: No, I have a very humorous one. Oh, well, tell
0: me the humorous one.
1: Oh, it involves you, Frank. Oh, dear. (laughs) I love Christmas Eve. It is not Christmas for me until the Christmas Eve service Mm -hmm. happens. But I and my family were seated about the sixth row from the front on the left-hand side, the Oregon side, the evening that the flood happened. Oh, my. And we were sitting, the service was getting ready to start, and suddenly front row people pop up out of their seats and are moving out. And then the next row and the next row, and I'm trying to figure out what might be happening. And my guess was a mouse until... My children started pointing down at the small tsunami heading <laughs> toward <laughs> us under the pews in front of us. And about that time, a couple women, cannot remember exactly who, appeared with a large stack of towels that they had run up and gotten from the baptistry. And then, I believe, still in your black robe, nope. came Frank across the sanctuary with the janitor's mop bucket <laughs> and mop Op. and proceeded to mop up the flood. That was very memorable, (laughs)
0: very humorous. I remember that quite well. We were sitting there. It was about five minutes before the service was to start. Paul Baxley and I looked up because Jill Dawson was standing right in front of us and said, you cannot start. There's a flood. And then it went crazy. But after about 30 minutes, we were able to continue on with the service as planned.
1: And we never had to get out of our pew. And then we had a clear road to the front, clear view to the front, because everybody else had
2: cleared out in front yeah. of us.
0: Yeah. Any other kind of unexpected moments that maybe hold a deeper meaning?
2: I remember a, a worship service. I believe the Millage Avenue Choir, I want to say the Episcopal Choir and maybe First Christians Choir sang, Come by Fount with our church choir. And it was the, an arrangement that a gentleman from the Mormon Tabernacle Choir did. So our choir did it with two or three other choirs, and it was so moving, Mm. so moving.
1: Was that during the service when we were honoring Bob Farrell?
2: That may have been. I can't remember.
1: That was a beautiful service with a lot of really pretty music with several churches' choirs combined. Mm
0: -hmm. It really was. Other musical things that you remember?
1: Well, I love each year the children's Christmas program. I just have special love for the children and work in the children's department, but that's one of my favorite things too is seeing the program that the kids put on.
2: Yeah, we built bricks out of paper bags and filled them with trash so we could have um, Jericho's wall and it fall in the sanctuary. Yeah, we've we've done a lot of the Old Testament stories in the sanctuary.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have. If you wanted for someone to have a special experience in that room, what would you want them to experience?
1: I would probably say something that's very special related to their family. That's only because personally, that's what I think of. Having a child baptized, having a child go down to join the church, having my daughter's wedding there, those just to me are such memorable, special things that took place in that sanctuary. That's very personal to me.
0: Yeah,
2: I would echo the same thing and add that there's this little buzz that goes on before the worship service actually starts. And to me, I think that's one of the things that signifies a healthy church because it's people visiting, and they're glad to see each other. It's like a cocktail party, (laughs) but in our sanctuary. But it's it's that feeling. It's, you know, people are so glad to be together. It's all about Christian fellowship, and it really sets a great, tone for a worship service.
1: I agree. And I love to see who the last few are that scatter yeah, to their seats. seats who were visiting <laughs> just as the service
0: starts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Someone always gets caught off guard just a little bit, don't they? Tell me some things you've thought about that I've not asked you about. What are some things you haven't had a chance to talk about yet?
2: I guess this goes back to being a uh, newlywed and moving to Athens and really not knowing anybody. But one of the things that really just surprised me is, being a minister's child, everybody knew my family growing up. Daddy dad was a minister of education at a small church in middle Georgia. So when I moved to Athens and joined First Baptist, nobody knew me. But on Saturdays while I was growing up in Thomaston, Georgia, I would listen, the radio would be on, and a voice I think he said, this is Roland Brooks coming to you from the University of Georgia. I can't remember the rest of it. Anyway, Roland Brooks was one of those gentlemen that greeted us on Sunday mornings, and it really just made an impact on me. And, of course, he was a sweet, sweet, kind gentleman, and he pretty much always had on a red blazer, Mm. that Georgia red blazer. But Mm -hmm. I remember he was just one of the sweetest people And we still got sweet people that welcome people every Sunday morning. A very good legacy of people that welcome each other. Oh,
0: what a connection, though. Someone that you had heard Mm -hmm. in your hometown, Mm -hmm. and then you come to church here and meet them Mm face-to-face. Oh, that's really special. What are some things you haven't had a chance to talk about yet?
2: I can think of one that... And I can't remember when I realized this. It was probably pretty early on that the glass is really not glass. <laughs> In the sanctuary windows is not stained glass. It's shaved marble. And I think about 100 years ago when we were planning this sanctuary building and the people that thought about ideas for it, were they thinking we'll do something really unique? Because The shaved marble windows are extremely unique. I mean, there may have been a few other churches in the country that have shaved marble windows, but not many. And it's just so unique.
0: I gained an appreciation for them when I learned they were shaved marble.
2: When we were doing the sanctuary renovation in 2017, there was a little bit of discussion about painting the interior of the sanctuary white. Or just to lighten it up a, a little bit, and the architects just said, "No, there's there's no way that you could ever paint it white enough to get it white because of the gold color that's coming through the shaved marble. Because and it is, it's that warm, beautiful gold color. It makes you feel warm.
0: Yeah, in late afternoon where the sun is at setting, even though our sanctuary doesn't really get direct west light. The room really does begin to glow with a very amber-golden color. And it is quite warm. It's a special time. It also makes it very warm in the evening for evening services. I think that's another reason why Christmas Eve is just so special. It has a glow and a warmth to it.
1: And it has the tradition I like as well. Charlie Hooper singing O Holy Night miss that. That was such a special part. And of course, the silent night at the end with the candles.
0: It is. It's very, very special. Mm -hmm. You've seen a lot of changes in the space. You've also experienced a lot of changes in ministerial leadership, and you've experienced change in lay leadership. Amid all those kind of changes, what are some things that you find to be constants?
1: One thing I would say, to me, it's the people. And I do realize that we lose people. We gain people. Some people leave the church. But it just seems like this has just been the constant family of faith. Hmm. And so many people, to me, are just such a core of that here, particularly close friends.
2: I would say the same thing, yeah. In thinking about this, Amaretta Smith was, she was such a character and such a special individual when we joined the church. And, you know, there are people like her now that that sort of still have that same special character about them in in their later years. People like Charlie and Sarah Bridges and Guy, Mary Nell Smith. Mm-hmm. Guy, Mayor Neal Smith, would take Daniel and I out to lunch every once in a while because we were poor as church mice With he was when he was in law school. And I saw a couple doing that not too many Sundays ago for a young couple that were visiting the church. So there's some threads there still.
0: Mm-hmm. It's inspiring when you see that, too. It gives us a good example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember any of those other people?
2: Who was the gentleman that? Gave out candy. Who was that? Gave yep. it to the kids. Robin may remember some of this. There was a little bit of consternation, too, about him giving out candy. Yes. <laughs> uh, because we were beginning to be worried about the sugar content that children were taking in. That, that was probably the mid-80s, early 80s. And I think he gave out hard candy. He did.
1: In the wrapper that made noise. Yes.
0: But that generation, to them... That was such a big treat.
2: And because they're growing up, if they'd had a piece of hard candy, that was hard earned. and
0: Yeah, it was a real treasure. It's easy to miss what some of the meaning is behind that. Obviously, it was something of real value for the candy man. To then be generous with something that held that much value was what that was about. It's easy to miss that sometimes. Those little small things that some people do are hugely important. Anything else that our conversations triggered for you?
2: Oh, I remember somebody who sang, he shared his testimony and performed for us. It was your buddy Ken Medema. Yeah. He was so good. He was instrumental in some of my music in my teenage years. Yeah. Because I went to Furman one summer and met him up there. Yeah, he was so good.
0: Yeah, when you start to think of a person or two, there's some other people that start popping into mind that have come through here. I remember Kyle Matthews, who is also a pianist, is a real storyteller with a piano. Mm -hmm. And he did some things here for us a couple of times.
2: Frank, when you think back on the years that you've been here, who are some of the people that, that stand out for you?
0: Some that continue to stand out, you know. I remember Susan Sparks being here. I had remembered about Bruce Metzger. I would probably only been here just a year or two when Bruce came. I was I was really impressed that this church brought those kind of people in. That was really special. It's hard, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. See, you ask us all these questions, and you think it's just so easy to answer. It isn't, is it, Frank Granger? <laughs> I remember Karen Smith came to preach here. Karen Smith, I believe, is the daughter of Chess Smith, not our Chess Smith, but our Chess Smith's grandfather. She spoke here. That was in the early 90s, and on a Sunday morning, a woman to preach here in the pulpit. I was really excited about that and really pleased. It's one thing that always impressed me about John bringing in strong, well-known, excellent preachers and speakers to address the congregation. And I remember him talking about that. Not all Baptist preachers would really do that. They'd bring in somebody that wasn't all that great when they were not going to be here. To make themselves look better. Yeah, Yeah. and John had a very, very different view uh, for good reason. He wanted people to hear some of the best that were out there and to bring those in. Yeah, I remember Karen coming and and preaching here.
2: Yeah, Rob and I did talk about Children's Church, not in the sanctuary, but up here on the third floor when um, we would try to replicate the sanctuary in a, <laughs> a
1: classroom up here. Well, we were trying to teach them about the parts of the service. Right. So one week we talked about prayers. One week we talked about offering. We did a little communion. So I remember doing that. It was really good good for them. That was our K-2 group, right, Mm -hmm. that we worked with. Mm -hmm. Um, Which brings me back to thinking about Linda Lacey and Janie Cooley and their work with our children.
0: You may have heard us tell the story. Janie would make cookies for her class, and Adam was in her class, and he came home, and he kept telling Teresa, I want you to make some of those cookies that Miss Cooley made. And he would try to describe them, and, you know, we were just impressed because they had little animals or shapes or something in the cookie because Adam kept asking for them. One Sunday, Teresa went up to Janie and asked her, would you give me the recipe for your cookies? Adam keeps talking about Miss Janie Cooley's cookies, and Janie just howled. (laughs) And she said, honey, I buy those. They are slice and bake. I buy them in the refrigerator (laughs) section at the store. (laughs) Still to this day, we refer to those cookies as Janie Cooley cookies. Are you ready to do lightning round? Do you know what lightning round is? Uh, Sadly, I do.
2: That's where you say something, whatever pops in our mind we're supposed to say. You got it. Okay. Okay. This could be
0: dangerous. I was thinking the same thing. Christmas.
2: Christmas
1: Eve. I was going to say the same thing. Christmas Eve service.
0: Children's choirs.
1: Christmas program.
2: Robes, getting ready, practice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yippie Hargrave crawling around the stage and Minda Lambeth trying to catch up with somebody.
0: Communion.
1: You honestly want to know what came to my mind immediately?
0: That's what I want to know.
1: Christmas Eve in the parking lot last year in the torrential downpour going from car to car passing out individual Mm -hmm. communion. Also, I would have to say, deacon chair organizing 16 people to help communion go smoothly. That was always a
2: panic that
1: something was going to go wrong during communion.
2: Yeah, It takes a battlefield of tactics to pull it together. Uh, Kate was baptized on Christmas Eve, and we have friends and family and John Appleton had told him the best view would be the back row of the balcony. Some of our friends had high schoolers and they got tickled and the whole back row of the balcony was shaken because they got tickled during commute. That was that was fun, but also a little bit unnerving.
0: <laughs> Easter.
2: The music.
1: Hymns. I was going to say those most favorite Easter hymns.
0: Mm.
2: And the lilies, the Easter lilies. And the cross
1: out front. Yeah. And seeing all the kids in their... Finery. Yes, in their new dresses and
0: outfits. Funerals.
1: Real sadness at losing some most beloved people from our congregation. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Weddings?
1: Okay, Robin, there I, you go. <laughs> I'd have to say Emily's. First wedding after the newly yeah. renovated sanctuary, done on time so we could have that wedding. Really, really special that she got married in the church.
2: Mm. And it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. She,
1: that was her choice. I was thrilled. And it was really, really a special day.
2: Oh, I remember Patty Snow's wedding in this church. Yeah? Yeah. I'm sure there were other weddings, but I remember Patty's because there were people lined up on the street waiting to be escorted in, and I just wondered if everybody was going to get in the sanctuary, and I think they all did, but it was a beautiful wedding. Mm. That was Becky and Buddy Snow's daughter, and it was a beautiful wedding.
1: And I think Jeannie Schneider's was very memorable as well, with the Hallelujah Chorus being sung, and her long line of bridesmaids that, filed in, and sat in the first few rows.
2: That was an unusual wedding, too. Mm
0: -hmm. Baptism.
1: Interestingly enough, I will have to admit that I grew up Methodist, and so baptism always meant I was baptized as an infant and then baptized as a teenager when I joined the church. But stepping into this church, being immersed, which I was not, so that was always kind of a, oh my goodness, grew up Methodist and never really participated in that.
2: Well, both of our children were baptized here. I love that the baptismal pull is up high because it it makes you center your thinking about what's fixing to happen for that person, the symbolic nature of it. It's already happened in their heart, but it's a, a symbolic And I'll I'll have to add this too. That was one of the things that Daniel and I talked about as a young married couple is because he was very adamant that growing up as a progressive primitive Baptist that his baptism was valid. It was critical to his faith at that time, and it it would stand on its own. So joining First Baptist was really easy because they Mm. accepted his baptism from a different congregation.
0: That's good. Let me ask one more thing. Sanctuary space, what makes that space sacred for you?
1: I think even with all the changes that have gone on, including the last renovation, it to me is the same beautiful sacred space. You just step in, I think the windows have a lot to do with it. The chandeliers have a lot to do with it. I love the addition of the stained glass in the front. Mm. That's just something that really appeals to me. But even though we've lost a few, a few pews, and redone the carpet. There's just the feeling, the same feeling I've always had of that being such a reverent space walking into that room.
2: I believe we have to embrace change. So when things like that change and it's just brick and mortar, it's okay. And it's really good for us because it makes us analyze what we value and what we think is important. So when we were doing the renovation on the space, we had a lot of conversation about, you know, where should the cross go? What should be the focus? Why do we have a split chancel sometimes and a singular chancel sometimes? You know, all those things were really important. But what's what's the basis of that sacred feeling is that we all are believers.
0: You know, you talk about the changes and you, you talk about expecting change. I read this this morning this phrase that a cathedral is never finished. Mm. I think about Ernie Hines' title of the book, Always Becoming New, and we're not a cathedral. That's not the tradition of Christianity we're in, either to have a cathedral, but a sense that it is always kind of evolving. It's never really finished. Mm -hmm. There's always more to be had. You made me think about that. Thank you for listening to our series recognizing the 100-year anniversary of First Baptist Church being on the corner of Pulaski Street and Hancock Avenue. On Sunday, November 7, All Saints Sunday, we will make special recognition of this centennial mark. I'm your host, Frank Granger, Minister of Christian Community at First Baptist Church. Listen next week to our fourth episode in this series featuring Charles Adams and Donna Hopper.